Good morning. Woo, it is hotter than the 4th of July out there today. The weather didn't cooperate with my joke this year, but stick, wait till next year. It'll, it'll stick. So as uh, Pastor Jeremy mentioned, we're closing our series on, at the movies here on the 4th of July with the musical Hamilton. Now, I've argued with my kids about this, whether it's a movie or a musical, whatever. It goes in the sermon series, whether you, you like it or not. Um, and of course, this is uh, a musical that hit Broadway in 2015. Uh, by storm. It was a sensational hit. Uh, people going crazy. People were paying thousands of dollars just for a ticket to go see this show. And it is, if you're not sure, it is about Alexander Hamilton, one of our founding fathers. Uh, has anybody seen the musical? Okay. I was counting on that. That's why I got a, a few songs I'm going to share with you uh, this morning. Now, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the writer, the lead uh, actor, singer, as Alexander Hamilton, um, he really was bold and took a lot of risks in using many hip-hop genre songs in this musical. And it, it's, it's amazing that this story about one of our founding fathers became so popular in our culture. And one of the reasons is that it hits on a lot of the hot topics of our culture today. Immigration, gender equality, and diversity. Uh, as a matter of fact, the way Miranda described Hamilton's story is the quintessential immigrant story. It's redefining yourself when you come to a new place. But more than all of the messages that it has for our culture, there are some really deep spiritual themes that run through Hamilton's story. And we're going to talk about those three today. Grace, forgiveness, and redemption. Now, the musical is based off of this biography by uh, Ron Chernow uh, on Alexander Hamilton. And what we learned is that uh, he was born in a very small, tiny island in the Caribbean in abject poverty. His father abandoned the family uh, when he was a baby, and then when he was 12 years old, his mother died, orphaning him. And so how does this orphaned, impoverished boy in some tiny little island in the Caribbean become one of the most influential founding fathers of America. It is an amazing story, and it starts with an act of amazing grace. In 1772, Alexander was 17 years old, a hurricane, huge hurricane, hit St. Kitts, his island, devastating everything. Now, Hamilton saw this as a divine retribution, an act of God. And so he pins a letter to his neighbors urging them to repentance and faithfulness. And this letter gets published in the local paper. And here's one uh, excerpt from it. Hamilton wrote, Despise thyself and adore thy God. Succor or, or have mercy, have, take care of the miserable and lay up a treasure in heaven. Well, 
some local businessmen saw his article in the paper and were just astounded at this young man's intellectual brilliance, his oratorical mastery. And they said, Alex, we see potential in you. And so they raised money to send him to America to receive an education. So Hamilton arrives in New York City on the cusp of the American Revolution. After uh, graduating uh, from King's College, uh, George Washington takes him on his staff, first as a writer. Remember, he has, and throughout his life, uh, it's the power of the pen. He is able to write amazing things. Uh, but then, eventually, uh, Washington makes him his chief of staff of the entire Continental Army. He's essentially the second most powerful man in America. And here's the first song from the musical that introduces Alexander Hamilton. How does a bastard, orphan, son of a... And a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished and squalor. Grow up to be a hero and a scholar. The ten dollar founded father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder by being a lot smarter by being the self starter by 14. They placed him in charge of a trading charter. And every day while slaves were being slaughtered and carted away Across the waves he struggled and kept his guard up Inside he was longing for something to be a part of The brother was ready to beg, steal, borrow, or barter Then a hurricane came and devastation reigned on man Saw his future drip, dripping down the drain But a pencil to his temple connected it to his brain and he wrote his first refrain, a testament to his pain. Other word got around and said, this kid is insane, man. Took up a collection just to send him to the mainland. Get your education, don't forget from whence you came. And the world's gonna know your name. What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton. My name is Alexander Hamilton. And there's a million things I haven't done. Just you so it's this one act of amazing grace that changes the trajectory of Hamilton's entire life, and indeed it changes the trajectory of a whole nation. Now you and I are familiar with the word grace. We use it a lot in church. And where would we be without the grace of God? Uh, the official, the theological definition of grace is the favor of God. It's our it's undeserved, unmerited, unexpected loving kindness of God. Or in middle school, sometimes we t teach the confirmation students that grace is an acronym that stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. Good. Confirmation graduates know the answer. God's riches at Christ's expense. It is something that we could never even imagine. We couldn't hope for it. We certainly cannot earn it. Paul explains it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
Indeed, where would we all be without the grace of God? Now, Alexander Hamilton received that wonderful gift, and he capitalized on it. He worked hard, and he was striving to overcome the wounds of being an orphan, born out of wedlock, uh, and his enemies, his political enemies for his whole life would call him all of these names. You're an outsider, you're a bastard, you're no good. And he fought so hard to accomplish something incredible. And he would end up far exceeding his wildest dreams in what he would end up accomplishing. And so, uh, in probably the most famous song in the musical, I'm not throwing away my shot. Here's a quick clip. There you go. Uh, he's going he's gonna to capitalize on this opportunity that God had given him. He's a man of faith. He was a man of scripture. Uh, and he certainly appreciated God's grace in his life. And he worked really, really hard. Grace, again, it's not about <clears throat> what we do. It's not about our performance. It's not about our achievements. It is all about God's work. Right? God loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. That's the beautiful thing about grace. I know uh, Pastor Jeremy and myself both uh, talk to people a lot, and too many people, uh, it makes me so sad, they have this picture of God as this harsh, uh, demanding deity. And it's just not the biblical description of our God. That's, that's actually more of a picture of King George III. Uh, if you've seen this musical, King George, is, he's a comedic character in this musical. And he's portrayed as this very jealous, very uh, obsessive. He, he's trying to control the colonies. And then in his song, uh, You'll Be Back, he professes his love for the colonies in kind of a strange way. of my love's not a price that you're willing to pay you cry in your tea which you hurl in the sea when you see me go by why so sad remember we made an arrangement when you went away now you're making me mad remember despite our estrangement I'm your man You'll be back Soon you'll see You'll remember you belong to me You'll be back Time will tell You'll remember that I served you well Oceans rise Empires fall We have seen each other through it all And when poor I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. Da 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 da
that you can't force somebody to love you. That is what someone who is insecure does. An insecure king or an insecure leader or insecure father will try to use force and intimidation to manipulate people. But that's not King Jesus. King Jesus is a God of grace. He, we, we, we open our hearts to him because he first opened his heart up to us. This is our motivation for loving and serving and striving to do our absolute best. John tells us that we love because he first loved us. We don't have to perform. We don't have to achieve. We don't have to accomplish anything to earn God's love. As a matter of fact, that would be impossible. As a matter of fact, grace wouldn't be grace at all if that were the case. So why is it so hard for us to live with this mentality? Why is it so hard to just kind of get it, that, that grace is free, that we are God's children because he adopted us? Well, one of the reasons that it's so hard is because, it, uh, well, we have this thing called pride. And I'll give you an example of myself. Just last night, I cooked dinner for my family. I even cleaned up. Yeah, you can clap. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> even did the dishes afterwards. And uh, you should have seen me strutting around like a peacock. Yeah, took care of dinner tonight. That was me. Did the dishes afterwards, all of that. And then my wife, lovely wife, reminded me that, well, it wasn't that hard to take all the takeout take food back in the bag and throw it in the dumpster. That was not that big of an accomplishment, really. Uh, but we do. We want a little pat on the back. We want some accolades, even with a tiny little accomplishment. Of course, the trouble with that is that uh, we also will have the shame and the regret that comes with every single mistake. And see, when we have faith in Jesus, we don't, we don't want to struggle with either one of those issues. Uh, we should not have any reason to boast, as Paul said, because we're not saved by our works. And at the same time, we also now, praise God, we have no reason to be shameful, to regret, because all of our sins have been taken away. They've been forgotten thrown in the depths of the sea as far as the east is from the west our sins have been removed from us and we stand before God on the merits of Christ not our own and to get right at the heart of the issue for us it is our identity it is finding our identity in Christ in Christ alone we have it is so hard. On guys, I'll pick on the guys. Uh, it's so hard for us, I know, because we so identify with what we do. It's basically the second question we ask when we meet somebody new. Hi, what's your name? John, I'm Mark. What do you do? It is so much ingrained in our identity, our work, our accomplishments. But it just, it's not healthy. It's not spiritually healthy. It's, it's really not even emotionally healthy. We find our identity in Christ. Receiving that grace free 
in living that out. Again, yes, we, we do things. We work hard. We strive. Alexander Hamilton, he worked harder than anybody uh, to be successful. But it was in a response to that grace that God had given to him. And so it is with us. Uh, because we are Christ, we act Christ-like. Uh, but it's not to earn favor. Again, the, the danger, is Alexander Hamilton learned, who was a brilliant man, but he was also deeply flawed, just like me. No offense, just like each and every one of you. If Hamilton had tied his identity to his uh, actions, his achievements, uh, he, would, he was absolutely devastated when he became the center of America's first political sex scandal. Uh, Alexander cheated on his wife, Eliza, had a, a lengthy affair with another woman. And his political enemies, now remember, uh, Alexander, who's Washington's right-hand man, chief of staff of the army, Washington became president, he became secretary of the treasury. Uh, when Washington stepped down after two terms of being president, Hamilton was going to be the shoe-in. I mean, with Washington's support, he, he would win in a landslide. He was going to be the second president. Everybody knew it. Until his enemies found out about this scandal. And to thwart it, to combat uh, the scandal, Hamilton did what he resorted to what his instincts were, uh, writing. He, he'd written his way out of poverty in this tiny Caribbean island. He'd written his way up the ranks in the Continental Army. He's written his way all the way to Treasury. He'd influenced uh, the direction of a new nation. And so he thought, I will write my way out of this. And he wrote a pamphlet, an open letter, confessing his sin of adultery, uh, apologizing, but ultimately, more than his political career, he ultimately wanted to save his marriage, save his family. Well, of course, that was political suicide. He didn't, he didn't stand a chance of running for any office after that. That was the end of his political career. But through time, many years, uh, Eliza, his wife, did come to the point of forgiveness. That's our second spiritual theme that we see. And here's the song that Eliza, well, about Eliza in this time in their life. a grace too powerful to name we push away what we can never understand we push away the unimaginable they are standing in the garden alexander by eliza's side she takes his hand it's quiet of time forgiveness If you heard the chorus line, they're going through the unimaginable. 
uh, to the world, forgiveness is something that is just incomprehensible. Uh, we're an eye for an eye. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. That's how the world works. Uh, how do you just forgive? Like literally forget as far as the east is from the west uh, to someone who has hurt you. Well, it's because we know that's what God has done for us. When we stop and just reflect on our sinful condition, on our own rebellious acts toward God, it is jaw-dropping. It is breathtaking to think that God loves us so much that he doesn't you know, put together an army and start a war and destroy the people rebelling against him. He sends his son to die for the rebels in order to save them and bring them all into his family. That's God's grace. That's his forgiveness. Now, probably what's the most famous part of Hamilton's story is uh, the duel that he had with Aaron Burr. Remember, remember that in high school history class, at least? All right, that's just a tragic story in and of itself. Burr and Hamilton had way more in common than they ever had uh, differences. Uh, both had uh, grew up fatherless, both loved their families, both loved the new nation, just had a couple of policy differences. So uh, if you think politicians are at each other's throat today, at least they're not shooting each other yet. Um, but uh, uh, Hamilton accepted the duel. He uh, rode across the river to New Jersey uh, because everything's legal in New Jersey. Um, and they, uh, uh, Hamilton's intention, and he, he said, he's told people ahead of time that he was going, it was an honor, it's an honor duel. He was going to take his 10 paces and point his gun straight up in the air and fire the shot. Well, Aaron Burr noticed that Hamilton was wearing his spectacles. And he thought, well, why would he be wearing his glasses if not to take deadly aim? And he said, I'm not going to leave my kids uh, orphaned. And so he took aim and fired before he even realized what Hamilton was doing. And Burr lived with that guilt for the rest of his life, uh, regretting that. Uh, but Hamilton, they, they take him home. He's injured. He's mortally injured. Uh, but I think he lives a couple of days before he finally succumbs to the wound. Uh, so on his deathbed, he had an opportunity to say goodbye to his family, had an opportunity to write a letter, and this is a part of what he said. I have tender reliance on the mercy of the Almighty through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a sinner. I look to his mercy. May we all have that opportunity to give that witness on our own deathbeds. Amen. His wife, Eliza, lived decades after this as a widow. And she made it her life's mission to, to recapture, to redeem the legacy of her husband. A redemption is our last theme. Uh, he had grown up, again, impoverished, wounded, scarred his whole life, trying to overcome uh, the shame that he felt from, again, being born out of wedlock, being in poverty, being an orphan. And so one of the greatest things uh, Eliza did was 
to start the first uh, private orphanage in New York City in uh, Hamilton's memory. And she dedicated that she would never turn a child away, regardless, regardless. She would work for uh, donations. She would solicit gifts of money and food and shoes and Bibles. And this is, you know, why did she do that? This is what she said. My maker has pointed out this duty to me and has given me the ability and the inclination to perform it. Because what God has done for her, she is going to do for others. Is God pointing out anything to you in your life right now? Is God pointing you in a direction to serve, to help, to call someone, to minister to someone, to listen? Has he given you the ability to do it? Has he given you the inclination, the interest to do this? In the closing song, Eliza Hamilton sings about her final years, redeeming uh, Alexander's legacy. Stop wasting time on tears. I live another 50 years. It's not enough. Eliza. I interview every soldier who fought by your side. She tells a story. I try to make sense of your thousands of pages of writings. You really do write that you're running out of time. I rely on Angelica. While she's alive, we tell your story. She's buried in Trinity Church near you. When I need
that last gasp at the end is a heart-stopping moment in the musical. Eliza looks up to heaven. Does she see Hamilton? Does she see God? Does she see that finally, after all these years, his story is being told to audiences all over the world? Miranda, the author, doesn't answer. He says it's up to interpretation. Some people say that in the end, she realizes that her love for God and her husband has saved the lives of thousands of children in New York City. It was so hard being an orphan in the 1800s. You've seen the gangs of New York. They lived on the streets. It was a battle to survive. And Eliza says she sees Hamilton in the eyes of these orphans that she takes care of, she loves, and gives forever families to. That is the story of redemption. Taking something that is broken and turning it into something beautiful. 2,700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah said that God would comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. God will take the brokenness of your story and make it beautiful by his grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks that we live in the United States of America. We thank you for the freedoms, the liberties uh, that we have as people in, in this nation. And we pray that we would not abuse our freedoms, but use them to serve other people. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who showers us with his grace, his love, and his forgiveness. Again, help us not to just store it all as a reservoir, uh, but to let it flow like living water, like streams of living water into our family, to our friends, our neighbors, into the whole world, uh, making this a better, uh, better loving place, a country and, and world. Uh, Lord, we uh, ask for your safety uh, this week, for good health, and for everything else that you know that we need. Grant it for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.